Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Morning. How's everyone doing this morning? I would think so. Who's in the house this morning? That's right, Jesus. It's amazing when you just, you hear these songs, how that is such a part of our worship and a part of what brings us into the presence of God. Sometimes I feel like um, we could just sit there all day and just listen to God um, speak to us through music. I think it's just a, a great point that the God we serve allows us to worship not only with hearing his word, but also with listening to music and instruments. It's just a a wonderful God we serve. And as I sat there this morning, I was just feeling his spirit. And we're going to talk about a little bit about his spirit this morning. That is something um, that we all can experience, the presence of God living in us. And if you've not experienced that today, I hope that you'll be able to understand just a little bit more this morning of how God works and how God lives inside of each of you. If this is your first time, welcome. Um, we have a little gift for you in the back there. If you, at the end of service, go back and a, a little gift for you to welcome you and to help you feel part of being the family. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. Our lead pastor, Pete, is on sabbatical. What that means, he's having a great vacation in Europe. Um, we get a little regular little clips of him in Italy and Julie and whatever, so uh, blessings on them. And then he's turned over um, the responsibility to some of us here teaching. And that is a great responsibility because the Bible says those that teach have a greater responsibility um, because we treat it with honor and respect and because we're bringing God's word to you. And so I want you to know that that's how I look at sharing the word, that just praying that God uses me to share what he wants to share. And it's also exciting because the story of the Bible is one long story from the beginning of creation, sometimes we think it's just these individual little clips through history. But when you look at it, God knew the beginning when he began the story and he knows the end. And in that story, each one of you and myself are involved in that story. So we all get to participate and are part of that story still today, um, working toward the end of time. I just want to say a quick prayer. Lord, I pray we can experience even more of you this morning. I pray, Lord, that as your spirit has already begun to move in this place, that he will be continue to move in each person here, that he will continue to speak to each of us in exactly the way we need to be spoken to. Convict us, Lord, in our hearts where we need to be convicted. Inspire us, Lord, where we need to be inspired. I pray, Lord, that you will use me as simply as a, a mouthpiece to share what you want to share in your scripture this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. So we continue our study in John 7. We've been in John 7 the last two weeks. And it's an exciting time in the history of the people of Israel. So we've been in the Festival of Tabernacles, it's called, or the Festival of Booths, B-O-O-T-H-S, or Tents, with Jesus and the Jewish people the last two weeks. So it begins on a Sabbath. It ends on a Sabbath. And during this time, it is said that is one of the most joyous occasions 
that the Jewish people celebrated. They had three great, great celebrations or festivals throughout the year. One was the Passover feast, one was the day of Pentecost, and now the Feast of Tabernacles. And so this feast was a great time of just celebrating what God had done and what God was going to do throughout time in the history of the Israel people. It's generally celebrated in the fall after the harvest time. What's exciting even more about this is those of us who are going to Israel this fall, the last day of the festival is, I think, the day after we get in Israel, the last day of the festival will be happening. So we'll be experiencing today, even a pilgrimage for many Christians today, because of the promises contained in it. And hopefully, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to see just a clip of it, because exactly, we will be there exactly where Jesus is, is today, celebrating that festival. So part of this festival is every day, a priest would take a golden pitcher, and they'd walk down the hill to the pool of Siloam there, and they would dip the pitcher of water in the water and bring it back to the temple where they would pour it out by the altar there. And it was, a, a, it was signifying a time in the history of Israel um, in the wilderness where they were wandering. But when they would get that pitcher of water, they'd go back up the hill. Uh, tradition, history says that a great trumpet blast using the ram's horn, the, the shofar, would blast forth and the people would make a great and um, cry to God based in prophecy from Isaiah. They were looking back at the wilderness and they were also looking forward. They were looking back to the time when they left Egypt and they were wandering during that 40-year wandering in the wilderness and they went through many trials during that time. And many times they turned against God, they would reject God or they would doubt God and this is looking back to one of those times where they were rejecting God at the point of saying, we need to go back to Egypt. And, they, and the reason they believed that is they were dying of thirst. They felt they were literally dying of thirst. Listen to what they said. Numbers 20, verse 2 through 11. Now there was no water for the community. And the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain. It has no figs. It has no grapevines or pomegranates. And there is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together, speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring rock bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. And so what a great miracle. Now Moses got a little confused and it kept him from going in the promised land because God said, speak. And Moses was angry. I probably would have been the Moses hitting the rock because I was so mad at these people. But they, water began to pour out 
and the people no longer felt like they were dying of thirst. And so what a wonderful thing for them to remember from hundreds of years earlier how God saved them in the wilderness, how he quenched their thirst. And so now they're also remembering the future. So when the trumpets blew, when they took that pitcher of water, poured the water out, the trumpets blew, the people would proclaim a scripture from Isaiah 12, verse three, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. They were looking forward to a future hope. They were looking forward to the coming Messiah, the coming kingdom. They were also remembering a prophecy in Zechariah 14, verse 8 through 9. On that day, living water will flow from Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea, half to the western sea. In summer and in winter, the Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. So now, all of that history that we've just talked about leads us up to the last day of the feast where we're going to hear a message from the King of Kings, Jesus. Thousands have made their way from the countryside, from the city in Jerusalem, from surrounding Jerusalem. Thousands of people come into the city during that seven days to celebrate. And so on this last day, the maximum number of people is there. They're gonna have one last blast, one last party. I mean, the Jewish people were great at celebrating and having parties. And this was the, the last great party they were going to have. And this was the day that Jesus was going to speak. In just a short time, they were going to make their way back home. And so as they're gathered in the temple there, perhaps the water has come up the hill one last time. Some say no water was poured out that day. Some say it was. It just depends what historical account you read. But regardless, I picture in my mind a moment of silence before the priest is going to speak, before the rabbi is going to share, before the rabbi is going to say what he needs to say. And generally, the rabbi is sitting before the crowd. The rabbi usually sits, he doesn't stand. But on this occasion, the great teacher, the Bible says, stands. And he just doesn't stand. The Bible says he begins to shout. And so that is where we take on the scripture this morning of John 7, verse 37 through 39. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus has not been glorified. Jesus continues this idea of water. They've been experiencing this idea of water all week, but in a different way. They've been seeing the physical water that quenches physical thirst. And we all know what that's like, don't we? You know, many of you have water bottles. If Franklin was here, he carries like a wheelbarrow of water in front of him. You know, that's his signature move. But all of us know the importance of water. We live in California. We live in a constant state of drought. Even when we're not in a drought, media says we're in a drought. But we've been in a drought situation. Not much new about that. There's never enough rain, never enough snow. Every day we need more rain. Every year we need more rain. Every year we need more snow. 
Every day, we need to take a drink of water, don't we? If we do not have water over an extended period of time, what happens? We die. We dehydrate. Those of you who've known people who've passed away after a long illness, they stop drinking. Their body stops functioning, right? That is the basic human need. So everyone in that crowd knew what physical thirst is. Everyone here in this crowd knows what physical thirst is. If we do not have it, we'll, we will die. It has been the design, same since the beginning of time. Every society, every culture, most of them were built around water because they had to have that water. And so imagine if there was actually a physical way to have this water all over the world, no matter where you travel. Most countries or many countries even today do not have running water. They still have to go to a contaminated stream and dip the water out and take it back home. I was amazed when I was in Ethiopia with Pastor Marcos that most of the people's days was spent getting water. And it wasn't the water you and I would want to drink. We wouldn't even want to wash our car with it. It was dirty, contaminated. It's a big issue in the world. But imagine it would be a physically amazing feat if everyone had access to that clean water throughout the world, wouldn't it? But there is even a more incredible, amazing feat that's not imaginary. And that's what Jesus begins to teach. He's moving from this physical idea, this physical concept, this physical fact that we need water to the spiritual fact that just as much as we thirst and crave water to satisfy our bodies, there's a spiritual thirst that only one thing, one being can fill. And he's declaring that he is the one that can fill that thirst, that he is the one that can quench this thirst for all time. He's declaring and promising that he brings that to us today. Just think about that for a moment. Out of all of the, the things we can believe, there's many religions to believe, there's only one that makes this claim, the living water that satisfies our spiritual thirst. As Jesus has done throughout, he's been continually talking physical, now talking spiritual. And so these people were still wrestling with these concepts. So Jesus, as he cried out, he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So with water and thirst being one of the basic, basic human needs, they understood that. But did they understand spiritual thirst? Did they understand that just as important as having a drink of water is that they needed to have a drink of something spiritual? They needed a drink of Jesus. Probably most people didn't quite make that connection yet. But like many of us, we struggle with that connection. We know something is missing. Something is, I need something more than than what I have, and what is it? And so I begin to pursue all of these things, not necessarily bad things, jobs are good, education is good, sports are good. There's so many good things and fun things in this world, but what do those things give us? Do they continually fill us? No. We act, I like going on vacations, but that diminishes over time, doesn't it? I have to go on another vacation to fill that need. Even eating, everyone likes a good meal, but what happens? It diminishes. And so Jesus has talked about food. He's talked about water. 
is what he's talking about today. There's something that continue to fill that need that we have in each of us. I'm trying to, Miss Julie. So, gee, if it is for anyone, that's what I, if Jesus said it, if anyone thirsts, no matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, no matter what your problems are, no matter how messed up you think you are, no matter how important you think you are, anyone, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me, Jesus said. The more direct question, Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to you. The more direct question is, do you understand, do I understand our need for a savior? Do we understand that we are spiritually thirsty without him? I think the fact that many of us are here shows that, that at some point in our life, we understood or, that there was a, a need for something greater. And sometimes that ebbs and flows in our walk with Jesus. Sometimes we're all in from the beginning and we just get more, uh, more of Jesus. And sometimes we have these ups and downs and that's part of our journey. But at some point we realize that there was some spiritual thirst that we needed satisfied in our life. It's a recognition that something is missing, that, that our meaning in life is, there's, is not quite what it should be without something spiritual. There's guilt sometimes. There's no purpose. There's a recognition of a void that is not being filled with anything else in the world. As I mentioned, we try to fill that void with many, many things. And sometimes not all of the things are bad. Sometimes we fill those things with addictions. Sometimes we, we fill those things that are very destructive, not only to our physical bodies, but to our families. Come on, come on. We sometimes fill those things with, with what we think are great things. We can even fill those things with serving people. And we can let that be the priority in our lives and really not just pour out our lives to Jesus and say, Jesus, fill me, because we think the more we do, the more good we do, the better I am. Our goodness flows out of what Jesus has done, not of all the, the, our willpower and our own power, but his spiritual power. So for those of you who are still checking out this idea of Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus draws everyone to him. He's been drawing you. And some of us are drawn pretty easy. Some of us are pretty stubborn, especially these last two or three weeks. If you've been here and been reading these scriptures, Jesus has been drawing you to this day. He's been drawing you to this festival to tell you that he can feel your thirst, that he can quench your thirst, that he is the eternal source. And Jesus says, come and drink. So will you come and drink? I can't make that decision for you. Your parents, your friends, your pastor, no one, doesn't matter who the person is, that's a personal decision that you have to say, Jesus, I believe. And that's what Jesus says in the next part of this. Whoever believes in me, verse 38 as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. That's the promise. If you believe, is that when we believe in something, when we believe in Jesus, something begins to take place within us. And it's something out of this world. It's something that we can't make happen. 
It's something that begins to transform us into what Jesus wants us to be. It's the promise that he says, I will come and live inside you. And this, when we, he says believe, there are different forms of belief. So oh, I believe, well, Paul said, or, or Jesus said, the demons believe and tremble. So there is a belief that doesn't save. The belief that Jesus is saying is what Paul talked about in Romans 10, verse 9 through 11. If anyone, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you believe? You will be saved. You confess that Jesus is Lord. You will be saved. What is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And so when we, this belief is something that just goes much more than just the words because it transforms us. The Bible is full of examples and full of verses that talk about this living power that comes to live inside us of what we're gonna talk about in a few minutes that is meant to change the way we act and change the way we do. And what we've talked about the last few weeks about being a disciple and a believer means more than just saying, yeah, I believe. It means following and serving and giving of what's inside of us to those who need it and who need to be served. And that's what I want to encourage you in this morning that if you believe, if you confess, you can have confidence that you're saved, but it doesn't stop there. There's something so much greater for us to experience and be a part of. It is this a moment of confession and belief that Jesus said the streams of living water will begin to flow in you and out of you. Not only do I, you and I begin experiencing this great salvation, forgiveness, hope of something greater that we have in this life, but the Holy Spirit begins to work in us. So what does that mean? So many Christians have a very vague concept of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to get more in detail on that in John 14, 15, and 16. But the Holy Spirit is something, it's, it's part of God. And it's something wonderful and amazing. And Jesus says, there's a description in verse 39 that says, by this, when he said rivers of living water flow, by this, verse 39, he meant the Spirit whom those who believed him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. The Holy Spirit is part of what we refer to as the Trinity. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is eternal. The Holy Spirit was at creation just as God and Jesus were at creation. The spirits hovered over the water, the Bible says. He was present and working in creation. Throughout the history of God's people, he had been present and working through miracles and prophecies. But Jesus reference here says, you know, that's been good, but there's something even greater coming that's going to be poured out when I'm glorified. And what he was talking about is when he was put on the cross, when he was resurrected from the grave, that these rivers of living water was going to be poured out on all of his believers, starting on that day of Pentecost. It was going to be something, the fullness of his glory, something that was magnificent and powerful at that time. What I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is as real as God and Jesus, and he's not meant to be kept just inside of us, that this is something that we are fearful of, is something we didn't understand, but the Bible says it's supposed to pour out of us flow like a living water, gush out of us. And how does he gush out of us? 
It's when we do things and we serve and we honor and we say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I will do that. I may not be comfortable with that. I may not want to do that, but because you, Lord, said that's what you want, because your Holy Spirit is living inside me, it's you, it's not me. The Holy Spirit is never to lift myself up. The Holy Spirit is never to make you someone great or someone wonderful. It's to point someone to Jesus and it's to to express who God is and who Jesus is and what he can do in this life. That should take the pressure off, shouldn't it? But so many times, I know personally, I'm like, well, I don't want to do that. I'm not comfortable doing that. You know, I'm not, it could be so many different things. It could be simple things. Uh, this morning, I uh, saw a man, as I was driving here, uh, the corner of AM, PM, walk up to a lady. Um, I don't, I don't, she looked homeless. Maybe she was, maybe she wasn't. And he gave her some money, and he patted her on the shoulder. Maybe he was listening to the Holy Spirit say, help that person. Oh, no, they're just going to take it and use it for drugs, booze. Maybe not. Holy Spirit knows, right? Holy Spirit, can, we need to listen, and we need to honor him, and we need to serve him and not think, well, just because I don't feel like doing it, just because I'm not good at it. I read something one time about the Holy Spirit. If we only, if we only say, I'm only going to do the things I'm good at, where is the glory in that? And we've talked about that on the worship team. You know, sometimes we're not real comfortable singing a new song or um, doing what we're doing, and if it's about the Holy Spirit, it doesn't really matter, does it? And so when we have that understanding in our life that it's him and not myself, that frees us up to really do his work. The spirit within a believer satisfies his need of God and provides him with regeneration, guidance, and empowerment. So this is a wonderful message that Jesus has taught He's teaching people there's a way to be, um, have your spiritual thirst quenched. There's a way for this living water is going to pour out. And what happened? Confusion and division. Not everybody was getting it. Verse 40 through 44. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he is, from, he is the Christ. Still others asked, how can the Christ come from Galilee does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. So as the people listened, as their confusion and division began to reign, and even though his message was one, that it wasn't a confrontational message at this point. He had plenty of those. But this was a message of, of hope and of wonder. But people began debating whether he was the prophet referenced by Moses in Deuteronomy 18 or he was the Messiah or Christ from prophecy. They debated where he was from, how long he lived there, where he lived, where, how he grew up. But their vision was clouded. They either didn't know, didn't want to see, they misinterpreted um, or deliberately ignored the facts that his birth, his place of residence, everything he was saying was in complete alignment with prophecy, was in complete alignment with every detail, but they chose to ignore it. The facts didn't matter, did they? 
They found whatever truth they wanted, and that is what their decision was based upon. Now, does that sound familiar to you? It sounds like a modern-day discussion of religious concepts and ideals, doesn't it? The popular idea that is that truth is relative. You know, whatever truth you want, that's okay. You believe that truth, and that's okay. Pastor Mark last week talked about this idea of relativism. Your truth is your truth. But the, the problem with that is that is not aligned with Scripture. And if you follow the rationale out of that, it doesn't really, we don't use that really in most places in our life. There are some absolutes in life. Gravity works. Uh, you know, that's a truth, right? Whether we like it or not, gravity is real. Well, the debate of Jesus, who Jesus is, is not new. Sometimes we get all worked up thinking about our current state and society and culture and how bad it is. And it is, it's not good, but people have always had a problem with Jesus. They like who Jesus is as long as you don't say he's the one, that he is God. The debate of Jesus is not new. Many acknowledge that Jesus was a good man. Many acknowledge that he was a prophet. Many, but when we began to elevate him as Lord and God, that is where the division sets in. One of my favorite authors of fiction and nonfiction is C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Chronicles of Narnia. Um, you may think he was just a fairy tale writer, but he was a very deep thinker and a, a theologian of sorts. He also started out as an atheist, um, very bitter about God, very influential in the World War II years, um, he would actually go on the radio and he would offer these little talks. And, and out of those talks, he developed a book called Mere Christianity. If you've never read it, it's a very good book just on about the basics of Christianity. And he was a, um, you have to get used to the way he writes because um, he's British, a lot of dry British humor in there. But listen to what he wrote about this idea of God, of Jesus just being a man. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim, his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Those are tough words, aren't they? But that is what people have wrestled with for years. The shortened form of what C.S. Lewis is saying is he is either liar, lunatic, or Lord. Because if he's not Jesus, man, he was a scammer and a half, wasn't he? So, he, so accept who Jesus is. When we make, you may be wrestling with that as well because when we make the decision that Jesus is Lord, that he is who he says he is, we are faced with making the decision if we will accept him or reject him. If that description fits you, I encourage you to continue to investigate, to question. It's all right to question. 
It's all right to investigate. The great men throughout the Bible, many questioned what God was doing, and always not in a nice way. They would confront God, and they would question him, and God would set them straight. But just don't throw your hands up and say, I can't know. Continue to look to Jesus and let him draw you closer and let him show you who he was. And what's, what inspires me is to see him still working today. Uh, Fourth of July, Abby brought a friend over for lunch, and we began to talk, and she's a newer believer, and so I just asked her, you know, tell me about your journey. And what a journey. Atheist, ridiculed Christians, ridiculed God, made fun of the pastor at her CrossFit training. And then during COVID, began to search. Man, my life has no meaning. Something's missing. And she began to look, and people began to come into her life. Someone sent her a Bible and said, if you read this, I'll come visit you. Well, I'm not going to read that. But if they're going to come visit, I, be I better read it. And God began drawing her and drawing her until she fell on her knees and accepted Christ as her personal Savior. He had been drawing her through many different people through, over the years into a relationship with him. And he had the answer that she could not find anywhere else. Amen. And that may describe you today. Don't give up. Because no matter what you're going through, he still wants you close to him. He still wants you to understand that there's life within him. And there can be life coming out of you. It is interesting to note, even in the midst of this confusion and people wanting to arrest Jesus and kill him, what was happening? He continued to teach. He continued to save. We sometimes look at the world and the state of all the problems going on around us about how dark and dreary our world is, and we forget that Jesus is still saving that Jesus is still active, that he is still working, even in the midst of the confusion and doubt, just as he was back then. He is here, and he's out there working. And he's working through you, and he's working through me. So what's, what's going to happen now? These men, if you remember, the big bad leaders had sent the temple guards to arrest Jesus. These weren't just, you know, wimpy guys. They were guards. They were designed to, if someone came into the temple, you were going down. They were tough. They were soldiers. They had heard how many sermons and these rabbis going on and all the, the chatter for years. They were went to arrest Jesus. Verse 45 through 8, verse 1. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. You mean he's deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Has any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of that Galilee. 
Then each went to his own home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Someone said these temple guards went to arrest Jesus, but they, I'm going to read it here. I'm going to get it wrong. It's like the punchline of a joke. I'm going to get it wrong. These temple guards went to arrest Jesus, but they walked away arrested by Jesus. He paralyzed them because he was teaching something they had never heard or considered. And what did the leaders do? They resorted to insults. Are you so stupid you're falling for his tricks? You're surrounded by a bunch of people who are foolish, and you fell for his tricks. We can't believe it. The mob, the crowd, they know nothing. In fact, they're cursed. Well, what is interesting, the leaders are actually cursed, and some of the crowd were actually believing what they were hearing, so they were being blessed. They began to throw out insults. They began to throw out accusations, all untrue. They said, these people don't know the law. Many did know the law. They said, this prophet, no good prophets from, come from Galilee. Well, yes, uh, Jonah came from Galilee. Nahum came from Galilee. Some others, they think one or two others came from Galilee. So they were wrong again. They were just throwing out. It didn't matter whether it was true or not. They were so focused on killing this man, Jesus, they didn't care about the truth. When I... What I want us to understand, it doesn't matter the ridicule, the insults that may come at us from the lack of our intelligence. You're going to believe that. You're going to believe some fairy tale that people go to heaven. You're going to be some fairy tale that uh, the world was created and you're going to heaven and there's life after death. People can ridicule us. They've always ridiculed. But Jesus... It doesn't matter because no one has ever spoken like Jesus. No one ever speaks like Jesus. That is all that matters. And so when you and I may be insulted and our intelligence question, and some people look at religious people as, oh, that's just a, you just need a crutch. There's people of all education levels who are Christians, people of all uh, economic levels who are Christians, people of all colors are Christians. It doesn't matter. It's not a crutch because when Jesus speaks, he offers something that no one else can offer. And that's what I, when I think about all of the stuff that's going on, when there's these mass shootings and things that are terrible, everyone begins to have a reason of why things are so messed up. And they are messed up. But no one really has the answer, do they? No one really, we have all these theories of why things happen and why things are as bad as they are, but there's really nothing being offered to hope. If someone, if, if God is not at a, giving us hope, if not being taught that we have a hope in something other than this life, what are you hoping in? You're hoping in just what's right in front of you. And what's right in front of us is dark and it's evil. What's our hope is something that's light and something that is great. And that's what is the essence of our lives as Christians, that we have something that's so much greater and so much more wonderful than this dark, stinky, evil world. And that's what I choose to believe in. And if that is stupid, if that is ignorant, then so be it. What have you got for me? You ain't got nothing that I want. 
So what are some of the other things that Jesus spoke? I just wanted to read through real briefly some of the things that Jesus shared. And you just think of this, no one ever speaks like Jesus. John 14, six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Matthew 6, 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these will be given to you as well. Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew 7, 7 through 8, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And to the woman at the well, John 4, 13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. No one speaks like Jesus. He is the answer to every drought in every life for every time and in all lands. And he stands before us today just as he stood in the temple thousands of years ago saying and giving the same message. If anyone is thirsty, let him come and drink, and the rivers of living water will pour out of him. Are you ready to let Jesus pour out of you this morning in living waters? I hope so. It's a choice. After communion, after the final song, we'll be up here ready to pray with you. And if that's a commitment you want to make, we'd love to pray for you with, with that. If you're struggling, because sometimes we forget that we're vessels of living water, don't we? Sometimes we walk away, and sometimes we just wonder if, if it's worth it, and things get in the way. That's okay, too. Jesus didn't go anywhere. He's still right here. And I just encourage you to keep reaching to him, keep, keep turning to him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for guiding us. Thank you so much for saving us. Thank you so much for the promise of something so much better than this life. Lord, we lift you up and we honor you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, that you have promised your Holy Spirit to live inside of us and to pour out of us. And I just pray for everyone here that wherever they're at, for those who are ready, who've already given their lives to you, just encourage them to continue drawing closer to you. For those who are ready to, to say, Lord, here I am, I believe in you, I confess my belief in you, I pray, Lord, that you will hear their prayer right now and give them the assurance of their salvation. For those, Lord, who are questioning, I pray, Lord, you will just speak to them in a way that they know is you and you only, and you will draw them in, Lord. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.